This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Today on the Online Enquirer podcast, we preview Illinois football heading up to Ann Arbor to take on number three, Michigan, one of just four undefeated teams left in the country. The Wolverines have had huge bounce back from a bad year uh, during the COVID season, going two and six. The last two years, they've gone 22 and two, of course, made the college football playoff last year, won the Big Ten, beat Ohio State. They're looking to repeat all of those things off to a 10 and 0 start, first time in a long time for Michigan since 2006 that they were started the season 10 and 0. So Michigan looking to do big things. They got a huge game next week against number 2 Ohio State that will determine the Big 10 East champion and let's be honest, probably the Big 10 champion uh, and of course the college football playoff. But Illinois gets them next and we'll see how Michigan responds. This is a trap game for them. But most importantly, Illinois has to play better football. Coming off back-to-back losses, of course, disappointing given that they control their own destiny in the Big Ten West to get to the Big Ten Championship game. Their Big Ten Championship hopes are still alive, but hanging by a thread. They need a lot of help. They need a Purdue loss. Might need some tiebreakers if they lose this game. But most importantly, Illinois needs to play better football. They need to play cleaner football so they'll get their chance to shock the world maybe kind of bounce back in a big way up at michigan this weekend and uh when you get some recruiting battles a win over michigan would certainly uh help their case on the recruiting trail as well we'll dive into illinois and their side of things we'll dive into their latest commitment getting brandon henderson to flip from iowa state three-star offensive lineman out of east st louis joey wagner going to talk all things illini football with me uh but before before we do that, let's get some insight into Michigan. What's changed over the last two years with Jim Harbaugh? J.J. McCarthy, the Illinois native, how is he performing uh, so far this year in his first year as a starter? And what makes that rushing attack and that defense so good? Alejandro Zuniga, who covers Michigan for the Michigan Insider, part of the 24-7 sports crew, he joins us next on the Illini Enquirer podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. 
or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right, let's get some insight into the undefeated Michigan Wolverines, one of just four FBS teams that are still undefeated. And he's Alejandro Zuniga from the Michigan Insider. Alejandro, thank you for joining us, man. Uh, Things going pretty well in Michigan. I want to start there because two years ago after that pandemic season, Michigan goes 2-6. and Jim Harbaugh takes a, a huge pay cut. And ever since then, Michigan's been dang good at football. Uh, so, so what's changed the last two years for Michigan? Boy, that we, we've actually been asking that question ourselves uh, to a lot of players, a lot of coaches uh, throughout the last couple of weeks because it's it's sort of a chicken and egg situation, right? Everyone says that the culture has changed in the locker room, but of course the culture is going to seem a lot better when the team's winning, right? I, I think a big piece of it, quite honestly, is that after that uh disastrous 2020 season there's really no other way to put it uh there was a bit of an overhaul uh from a coaching perspective michigan got a lot lot younger uh from a coaching perspective and uh, one of the biggest things that changed was on the defensive side of the ball uh one of the big knocks against jim harbaugh uh that michigan fans have heard at nauseum and i'm sure illinois fans have heard as well was the inability to win the big games against the rival the rivals Uh, and the number one rival being Ohio State, of course. Uh, Michigan went, uh, got rid of Don Brown, the former defensive coordinator, brought in Mike McDonald, uh, who overhauled the defense, brought in some some concepts that could stop in Ohio State. And that's what happened last year. Uh, Now, of course, Michigan lost Mike McDonald, but stayed in that Baltimore Ravens coaching tree, uh, brought in Jesse Minter, another young defensive coordinator, a young assistant coach, and... Uh, that renaissance, both from a cultural perspective, kind of inspired by the players, uh, but also younger, more modern assistants, has led to two very successful seasons. Yeah, absolutely. They are fantastic defensively, and everyone thought they might take a step back because when you lose Aiden Hutchison, who's doing what he's doing, I saw the Bears last week, right? Uh, he's yeah. fantastic. Um and then to lose uh, David Jabo, um, who, who was fantastic last year. How have they maintained that standard uh, on defense? Yeah, it, it's been sort of the theme from the beginning. Uh, Jim Harbaugh kind of brought it onto the defensive unit. He said, hey, this is going to be a no-name defense, a no-star defense. And you know whether that was sort of like a self-imposed chip on their shoulders or not, it's it's lived up to that mantra. I don't think there's any one player you look at on this defense and you say they're playing at an Aiden Hutchinson, a David Ajabo, a Daxton Hill type level. Those are three top 50 NFL draft picks from last year. And, you know, they, there's no one who's, you know, up there as a first rounder, you know, a top five NFL draft pick like an Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, but the unit, I think, has has performed at that level or in some ways even better. Uh, I think the one piece you look at, the, the the first piece you look at, is that while Michigan did change defensive coordinators from Mike McDonald to Jesse Minter, uh, like I mentioned before, these are two folks who are coming from the Baltimore Ravens. You know, that's their coaching tree. Uh, so this really was seen as a year two of the same defense, even though it's a different defensive coordinator. 
Uh, I think Michigan has done a very good job, whereas last year the strengths of the defense was the edge rushers. That's Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo. This year it's really the interior of the defensive line, uh, starting with Mozzie Smith, Chris Jenkins. Uh, they, they've really formed what Jim Harbaugh calls the run wall that has become the best rush defense in college football. You pair that then with an offense, a Michigan offense that can kill the clock, uh, that limits the number of of series of offensive series that opponents have, and all of a sudden you're getting into the second half, and a team only has a couple possessions, and it forces them to be one dimensional. Uh, so, so like I said, it's not any one player that's really standing out. I think you look at Amazi Smith at the interior, your nose tackle, Mike Morris coming off the edge. Uh, but just everyone's really solid and it's a second year of a scheme that's very difficult for opponents and difficult for opposing quarterbacks. I want to ask you about that because Illinois and Michigan both have gone through scheme changes and I think they've gotten really modern. Um, both of them have kind of the same base personnel and that they got five defensive backs, five on the front, two linebackers. What does, what does Minter like to do out of this defense? What's kind of their uh, identity on that side of the ball? Yeah, I, that's exactly uh, that's exactly right. It's like they they can bring out a lot of exotic blitzes. Uh, they can do a lot of things out of base looks that really look the same. Uh, so I think that's where you start. And when we've talked or or we've listened to what opposing coaches have to say about the Michigan defense, the number one thing is we've got to stay out of second and third and long because when we put ourselves in that situation. Jesse Minter's bringing guys from the secondary. He's dropping edges into, you know, in, into areas where it might be the flat, it might be a crossing route. Uh, you know, he, he's doing things that take away the first read of a quarterback. Uh, and if you don't have a quarterback who, well, two things. Number one, either pressure gets to the quarterback uh, and forces a throwaway or forces a sack. Or if you don't have a quarterback who's competent enough to withstand the pressure, scramble a little bit, maybe get to second or third reads that makes it very difficult. So, so it all starts, it all starts on first down. You know, if, if you're running the ball on first down, this is a defense that's going to pretty frequently put you in second and third and long. Uh, and when you get into those situations, Jesse Minter is, you know, he's very happy to, to blitz a linebacker. He's very happy to, to drop a D tackle sometimes even into coverage because he knows that the pressure is going to get there. And in those couple of beats, a quarterback, a college quarterback, has to make a decision of what to do. It's often not going to work out well for the offense. Illinois fans were hearing that, and alarm bells are going off because running on first down seems to be what Illinois does. So I'm guessing Barry Lunny's going to have to be a little bit different in what he does. Chase Brown's health is a big question. I, I get the idea that he's probably going to try and go. Uh, we don't know. We won't know until Saturday, most likely. Uh, but Illinois' passing attack, they got a quick passing attack, not as many downfield uh, threats. Um, so the matchup clearly favors Michigan, Alejandro. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see a physical Illinois offensive line that hasn't played all that well the last couple of weeks, but we know they played well against Wisconsin. That kind of has some similarities to, to, to Michigan. Not as good, obviously. Um, but, but what are you intrigued about with that matchup? Michigan's great defense against Illinois' somewhat improved offense. Well, I'll tell you what. It, when I look back at this Michigan football season, Michigan has all the numbers of an outstanding defense. But I think back to the conversations I've had with, you know, with beat writers like yourself from from other programs, and what I heard from basically everyone, or a lot of people, is 
This is a first year quarterback. It's a first year offense. Uh, so, so in some ways we've gotten to the 11th game of the Michigan football schedule. And I don't know how good the defense is. Like they are very good. They, there's no question about that, but are they elite? I don't know. I like look back to, to the non-conference season. They played a Colorado state team that was installing an air raid offense. They played a Yukon team that was, you know, fielding a, a freshman quarterback making his second start, something along those lines. Same thing with Hawaii. You know, even the Nebraska game last week, it was it was a backup quarterback who got hurt halfway through the game that it was a third string quarterback. You know, there have been very few fully formed competent offenses that Michigan has faced this season. So that's kind of number one is I just want to see I, Illinois has a physical offense, a well-coached offense from everything I can gather. Uh, and they do what Michigan does to opponents is they, they control the clock. They punch you in the face with a very good, reliable running game. And that makes things uncomfortable for opponents. And Michigan has not faced that this season. You know, even Illinois has gotten better production offensively. Uh, but when Michigan played them, it was when they couldn't string together anything, you know, it, Every opponent Michigan has played this season, with the exception of, of Penn State and Michigan State, has just not really had a fully formed offense. Uh, so just the fact that the Illinois has that uh, is something unique. I think Michigan can and will do pretty well. Like you said, Michigan's Michigan kind of puts its own strength against Illinois in terms of having a very good rush defense and then forcing, you know, forcing opponent quarterbacks to beat you. I think that bodes well for Michigan, but I'm curious to see if they can still play to that number one scoring defense in the country type level. Let's flip to the other side of the ball, Michigan and Illinois. Again, some similarities here, right? Like they play smash mouth football. It feels like they've modernized the offense, a lot more quick game uh, out of their passing attack, but it all starts with that offensive line and, and number two, uh, in Michigan, who kind of reminds me of number two in Illinois. Uh, the way Blake Corum runs, Chase Brown runs, I'm not surprised they have uh, similar numbers this year. Of course, Corum with way more touchdowns. But um, what, t tell me about what makes that rushing attack Corum. And I don't want Illinois fans to overlook Donovan Edwards because I think he would run for 1,000-plus yards on, on most teams right now. Yeah, it, it all starts with the offensive line. And that's, I mean, that that's probably the case for most very good rushing attacks. Um, but it is especially true at Michigan. Uh, Michigan, Michigan's offensive line won the Joe Moore Award last year as the nation's best. Uh, they, like Illinois, are, are semifinalists for it this year again. Uh, I mean, Michigan lost a couple pieces from that offensive line last year, but they plugged those very, very well. Uh, the big name that uh, I, well, one of the unsung heroes uh, of the offense is the center, Olu Oluwatimi. He was a Remington finalist last year at Virginia, uh, transferred into Michigan for his, his final season of college ball. He's been fantastic, um, and he has allowed Michigan to do a lot of things even beyond what they were able to do last year because he's, uh, he's physically dominant. He's very athletic. They can pull him. They can get him. You know, they can move them around, I guess, and, and that can help the offense in a lot of different ways. Um, but then you have, of course, Blake Corum, you have Donovan Edwards, two fantastic running backs who are a little bit different in what they bring to the table. Um, but I mean, both of them can catch passes out of the backfield. Both of them are, are pretty good at running between the tackles and then also hitting home runs. Blake Corum, just 
the difference between last year and this year, he was already excellent last year. He added 10, 12 pounds of muscle. And, you know, th- there were a lot of questions in the offseason about who was going to replace Hassan Haskins from last year as who can go between the tackles, pick up short yardage. And we, you know, Michigan even brought a linebacker onto the offensive side of the ball during spring practice to, you know, to see if they could get a short yardage back out of them. Turns out they didn't need to. Turns out the answer is Blake Corum. And that's where he's impressed me the most. He has always been an aggressive cutter, fast, you know, sees the field really well. You know, if he gets an inch of space, can turn it into a mile. Uh, But the number of times a game where he plunges into a pile and then you see that pile moving three, four, five yards, impressive to me. It's got to be demoralizing as hell for an opposing defense because. He's turning what would be a two-yard gain into five yards, and then it's you know third and one, and you know he's going to pick it up. And if he doesn't, they'll go for it on fourth down, and he'll pick it up then. So it he's just such a well-rounded back. Uh, and then, like you mentioned, Michigan kind of offsets him with with a Donovan Edwards, who shares some of those similar traits between the tackles, and could also be starting at slot receiver. Quite honestly, he is. Uh, one of the better receivers on the Michigan football team uh, and played receiver for a good chunk of high school could be doing that today. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic. Um, he, he could, he could have a huge year if Blake Corum wasn't there. JJ McCarthy, a lot of Illinois people know about him uh, from LaGrange park, a five-star prospect out of Illinois, really poised as a young prospect. Um, so he gets the quarterback job. What have you seen from his development? Because he feels like if we're talking about Michigan as a national title contender, I don't know if we've seen J.J. McCarthy have to go win a game. That's, and that's, that's a credit to the rest of Michigan, right? It's not a shot at J.J. McCarthy. Uh, but, boy, he's been really efficient in his first year as a starter. So what do you got on J.J. McCarthy? Yeah, I'd agree with what you just said. Is Look, J.J. McCarthy was not the starter coming into this season. Uh, If you followed Michigan closely, uh, you know that throughout fall camp, uh, Michigan had Cade McNamara, who started all 14 games last season. They had J.J. McCarthy, who was limited in the offseason because he had a shoulder issue. And, you know, they went into fall camp battling for the starting job. They went into the season battling for the starting job. Cade Cade McNamara started the first game of the season. J.J. started the second Jim Harbaugh decided, okay, JJ is the quarterback and he's been it since then. Uh, he is, he has all the tools of a five-star prospect because he was a five-star prospect. Uh, but it's very interesting to look at the Michigan offense this year compared to last year and see how similar they are. You know, last year's offense was, hey, we're going to hand the ball off to Hassan Haskins and he's going to run for 200 plus yards and five touchdowns against Ohio State and you're not going to be able to stop him. This year's offense is we're going to hand the ball off to Blake Corum. He's going to run for 170 yards at five yards a pop, and you're not going to be able to stop him. JJ hasn't had to do a whole lot. Uh, he is he adds an element to the offense in that he's mobile and he has a much stronger arm than Cade McNamara. Michigan will sprinkle in some quarterback runs. They'll sprinkle in the threat of quarterback runs, and that opens things up for everyone else on the offense. There is no question about that. That being said, where you might think that a J.J. McCarthy might really open up the downfield passing game that has not happened to a level that Michigan fans maybe expected. 
You know, they don't take a whole lot of downfield shots every game. They don't have to. You know, J.J. McCarthy will sometimes throw for just 15, 17 times a game because Michigan is so comfortable running the ball. As Michigan coaches say, if the opponent's not going to stop us, we're going to keep handing the ball off. And to this point, no opponent has stopped Michigan from handing the ball off and picking up five yards, you know, five yards carry. Um, that being said, there are still questions, especially with the deep ball, is Michigan will sometimes go play action, try to hit a bomb down the field, and those haven't really happened. It's, you know, the receivers aren't getting enough separation. It's JJ is maybe on the money, maybe a yard off, but he could put a little bit of air under the ball. You know, that's just not in sync. Uh, and that's where, if you're a Michigan fan, you're thinking, you know, maybe we need one or two of these against Ohio State. Yeah. And certainly if you get to a college football playoff, we need to expand the offense a little bit more. It remains to be seen whether it's not there or if it's not there because Michigan hasn't had to show it yet. Well, Alejandro, uh, I think Illinois, their defense, if we would have talked about this game two weeks ago, we would have thought, oh, maybe they can be the one that contains the run. I don't know if you ever stopped Michigan's rushing attack. But force him, uh, J.J. McCarthy, to go beat you. I think that is the key for Illinois. And, hey, he can. He's talented enough to do it. Um, so what interests you on, on that matchup? Because Illinois defense has shown a, a couple flaws here recently. They've had some injuries. Uh, getting Seth Coleman back I think would be big for them off the edge and sounds like he'll be healthy. But um, that's got to be the game plan, right, is, is force McCarthy to beat you. But stopping Corum, stopping Edwards is easier said than done. Yeah, I, that that is what interests me the most is is honestly the the wide receivers and if they can get separation and if Michigan, you know, if Illinois can force Michigan to throw the ball more than they'd like to or more than they have, what happens? Yeah, you know, Michigan hasn't had to do that a whole lot this year, uh, and and they haven't really had to do it against uh, a defense with a secondary that's as solid as as Illinois's. You know, Michigan has faced. A really poor Michigan State secondary. They they threw the ball a good amount against a, a pretty bad Rutgers secondary. You know, like they've faced these opponents that try to make Michigan throw the ball, but also they know that their their strengths aren't in the secondary. Illinois is, is a bit different in that regard, right? There's a lot of talent in the Illini secondary. And A, can the receivers get separation? And B, is that a reliable way for Michigan to move the ball? You know, Michigan has been a bit more banged up on the offensive side of the ball recently. You know, Donovan Edwards, uh, we just talked about, he he sat most of last game with, you know, an unspecified injury. Uh, with Michigan, injuries are always unspecified, so we'll just, you know, start with that. Um, so, so Donovan Edwards, who is a receiving threat, missed most of the last game. Luke Schoonmaker, the starting tight end, uh, missed the last game. He's been banged up since the Rutgers game. You know, Roman Wilson, uh, one of the better wide receivers, he he came back last game, but he'd been banged up. So it, it's been, Michigan hasn't had the full complement of skill position players. Now, as they're rounding into the final weeks of the regular season and rounding into that huge Ohio State matchup in two weeks, can they get everyone back healthy? And when they do have everyone back healthy, can you use your your aerial passing attack to move the football. They haven't had to do it. Illinois is a great challenge because they are going to have to do it one way or the other against Ohio state, probably. And then certainly in a bowl game or a college football playoff. Well, Alejandro, I think Illinois has to hope 
Michigan's looking ahead, right? That this is a trap game for them, uh, and maybe not being ranked anymore. Uh, maybe Michigan does overlook them. I don't. I don't know how much college kids actually do that. Um, but but clearly, Ohio State, Michigan. No matter what happens, even this week prior for me, you win that game and you go to the Big Ten championship game and you win that against whatever West team comes out of this, uh, and they should. Michigan's going to the college football playoff, so um, I get it. It's kind of like the Michigan State game for Illinois two weeks ago. It didn't matter what happened in that one. It mattered what happened in Purdue for the Big Ten West championship. It's kind of the same thing here for Michigan. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange game, right? Yeah. Because it really, it's almost like it doesn't matter for Michigan. <laughs> it it does, of course, but. You know, Michigan and Ohio State are locked into a big a Big Ten East championship game next week on November 26th. It doesn't matter what Ohio, what Ohio State does at Maryland. It doesn't matter what Michigan does against Illinois. And it's almost even, if you're looking at the college football playoff, if Michigan loses and Ohio State loses, if they win the Big Ten anyway, like they're going to the college football playoff, right? There's So, so in, in terms of that national picture, uh, and in terms of what Michigan schools are this season, that's where I think it could be a bit of a trap game is because, like, listen, we talked to Jesse Minter today, the defensive coordinator for Michigan, and of course he's saying all the right things about preparing for Illinois and respecting the opponent that's on the docket. At the same time, when Jesse Minter interviewed for this position, he showed up to his interview with Jim Harbaugh with a game plan for Ohio State. You know, this is <laughs> Ohio State is the focus for the program at this point. They they have four goals for their season. One was beat Michigan State. Two was beat Ohio State. Three was win the Big Ten. Four is make it to the national championship game. You know, they've already got one. They beat Michigan State. Winning the Big Ten, doesn't matter what you do on Saturday. Yeah. So, you know, these are college kids. College football is an emotional game. I think Michigan is... Michigan is a solid, like has a solid core. I think one thing that Jim Harbaugh has said a lot that I think is true is they don't get big heads. Mm -hmm. They don't get too arrogant. They don't take things for granted, you know, and it's also, it's also senior day. It's for a lot of, a lot of these kids, it's the last chance to play at the big house, you know, last chance to play in front of your home fans, all those things. Uh, And it's pretty cool to be undefeated. Yeah. So, so there is that going for it, but they're going to face an Illinois team that's going to be more physical than maybe they're used to. That is going to do things on offense that are different than what Michigan has faced at other points of the season. So I do see where, where Illinois could keep this close. Alejandro, great stuff. Before I let you go, I just want to ask you about, you know, Illinois and Brett Bielma, you know, Michigan can come in and and steal a lot of in-state recruits and they have Trevor Keegan's going to be starting uh, AJ Henning, great kid out of Lincoln Way East. Tyler Morris, young kid, freshman. Jimmy Rolder, who's a phenomenal player. I think he's playing already there. A linebacker out of Chicago, Maris. Illinois is in a battle with Jair Hill with Michigan. And, you know, it's it's a real head-to-head battle. And I'm sure Michigan fans are like, what, what is this? Like, what what is this scrappy Illinois team? Me and I'm Nat and being around in this recruitment. Um, I just find it interesting. How are all those kids doing at Michigan, those in-state kids? And it, it does feel like, you know, Michigan's at least got to work now if they want to come and get a kid out of Illinois. Yeah, it, it is uh, it, it is interesting. And I think one thing that when you're looking at it from a recruiting standpoint is Michigan, you'd almost expect Michigan to be doing – or you would really expect Michigan to be doing a lot better yeah. from a recruiting standpoint than they have been at this point, given 
you know, not only who they are as a program, but what they've done recently. You know, it seemed for a while last year that when Michigan beat Ohio State and finally won the Big Ten, like, all right, like the floodgates can open and then Michigan starts rolling off, you know, 10 straight wins to this season. Like, where are the floodgates? Yeah, just just for context. Where's the water, I guess? Yeah, just for context for people listening, Michigan's got the number 24 class in the country, Ohio State number five, Penn State number 14. So, yeah, I mean, Michigan could be back-to-back college football playoffs you'd expect them to be in that top 15 top 10 maybe yeah definitely like a top 10 especially given you know the program pedigree uh so so it's actually something we've been talking about with coaches you know during their press conferences this week and last year michigan had a really a really good close to the class you know they they flipped some kids late you know they finished with a, a much better class than it seemed throughout the entire cycle because of what they were able to do at the end you know, you thought that recruiting momentum might carry into this season, but, you know, I don't know if it's the the lack of of a really solid NIL plan like other like other universities have. I don't know if it's, you know, how much of it is, you know, Michigan lost their defensive coordinator, their offensive coordinator from last year and had Jim Harbaugh interviewing with the Vikings, you know, like all those things maybe come together uh, to, to hurt recruiting a little bit. Uh, you know, coaches say, hey, we know we're Michigan. You know, we, we see the results we're putting on the field. People are going to see that too. And we're going to find the the kids who are a good match for our program. Um, A.J. Henning has been very valuable for Michigan this year. He's punt returner, kick returner. You know, sometimes, you know, he, he's used an end arounds, has taken a couple carries out of the backfield. Jimmy Rolder, uh, he, he was a he's a diamond for Michigan. And, you know, it's a guy that uh, there was an athletic story about how he went to Wisconsin on a visit and Wisconsin's coaches like forgot he was there. Uh, And, you know, that's part of the reason that maybe Paul Chris didn't work out in Madison, but, you know, he's a guy who, who Jim Harbaugh loves said, you know, he's, this guy is a prototypical big 10 linebacker. Michigan doesn't have a ton of linebacker depth this year. And he has been, you know, he's, he's come on a lot more recently and he's going to be a good piece for Michigan in the future. You know, Michigan, I, I don't know where they're going in terms of recruiting. I like they, they usually have their hotbeds. Sometimes it's Ohio. Sometimes, you know, it's out in New Jersey. They've got kids from there. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of momentum in recruiting right now. They're in battles with a lot of people. Um, but yeah, it will be interesting with Illinois. Like that's usually... That's usually a fertile ground for them. And as Illinois builds up a program, that becomes becomes more difficult for Michigan and for everyone. Alejandro, man, thank you uh, so much for your time, your insight, man. It was fantastic. And uh, have fun at the game on Saturday. Stay warm. Thank you very much. Enjoy Vegas. I will. Thank you, Alejandro. All right, coming up next, let's talk some Illini football with Joy Wagner, including their latest recruiting get. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillow. 
leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. All right, Joey Wagner, let's talk some Illinois at number three, Michigan. Two weeks ago, this felt like a game I didn't want to miss going to Vegas, Joey. Um, not quite that way, but hey, uh, you still get a chance at a top five team play spoiler here. Uh, just overall thoughts heading into Michigan. Illinois was always going to go into this game with kind of house money, right? I, I mean, there was, especially had they won one of the last two, this was just going to be a throw a bowling ball in the middle of the conversation for the college football playoff game for Brett Bielma. And it still is that. It's just, it's a different feeling, right? I mean, you kind of need this to win the West if that's still a hope of yours. And otherwise, you need quite a lot of help. I mean, you still need a lot of help one way or the other, but it's a tough order, dude. Michigan is Michigan. Like, they are, Jim Harbaugh's got that thing going right now. Illinois has had some some difficulty on defense stopping the run. They're running into Blake Corum, right? I mean, J.J. McCarthy maybe isn't the passer statistically that Aiden O'Connell is in that system, but he's still a five-star kid with talent all around him. The defense is still the number one defense in the country. This is a big task for Illinois to go in there and do it. The other part of me thinks Brad Bielema doesn't give a damn, right? <laughs> I mean, he doesn't seem to be phased by this. That's not me saying they're going to win, but I don't think this is – and I'm glad it was asked on Monday about Penn State, but I don't think this is a, oh my God, look at them. This is, I mean, I don't know that they're going to look at it like that. Maybe they ought to, but I don't know that they're going to. And I think that matters going into this game. And, you know, when you dive into this, Joey, like Michigan to me is like a version of the Wisconsin teams of the peak Vilma, the peak of Paul Christ, right? And that they just do what they do so well. They don't have the most overwhelming talent. When you compare it to like Ohio State, Ohio State is overwhelming talent across the field. Michigan, I was looking at CBS Sports, has one top guy in their top 100. Like Illinois could have as many guys go in the first three rounds or four rounds of the draft as Michigan, right? And so is like, that Smith? Yeah, it's Maisie Smith. Like, but Illinois has got Devin Witherspoon, you know, Quan Martin, Sidney Brown are going to the Sydney or the Senior Bowl, which. Obviously, could be uh, means eighty two percent of those guys get drafted at least as, as of last year. Chase Brown, I saw in one third round mock draft. Um, so like Illinois got some of that talent. We know Keith Randolph and and Johnny Newton and Seth Coleman and Gabe Ackes are really talented players, um, but they just have more depth and they have they have everything rolling right now. They're playing as such a good unit. I think their offensive line is really really good, and they do have more talent. Right than, than Illinois. They don't have as many top 100 guys as Ohio State, but they got a lot of four-star guys. And then they have a quarterback who hasn't been tested yet, but boy, is he talented. You turn on the film of J.J. McCarthy, and he doesn't have to do um, you know, what C.J. Stroud does or what Aiden O'Connell has to do for their teams, but uh, I feel like he can at certain points. He just hasn't been tested with it. He's got a great arm. He's a really good athlete. So Illinois just has to play its best game. And Brett Bielema said that. Every, he needs the best version of everybody. It doesn't mean he needs an All-American of everybody. But he needs Tommy DeVito to play his best game. He needs the offensive line and defensive line to be far better. Uh, and he needs his stars, especially in the secondary, to be what they've been for, for most of the season. So Illinois has shown, Joey, they have it in them to compete. If they play like they did at Wisconsin, 
they can compete in this game. If they play like they did even against Nebraska or Minnesota, they have a chance to, to compete in this game and make it a game. But if they play like they did the last two weeks, uh, they're going to get blown out by Michigan. Yeah, there's also an 800-pound elephant in the room wearing a number two jersey that we don't know if he's going to play. And it's not Blake uh, Corm. Chase Brown. It's not Blake Corm. Uh, it's Chase Brown. We don't know. Uh, we're recording this before somebody flies out to Vegas today and, and one of us goes over to football uh, at 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, Jim. We haven't talked to Brett Bielma. Yeah. I had to. I'm still a little jealous. I, I uh, can tell. I can tell. <laughs> so we don't know. As of right now when we're recording this, we don't know. Hopefully we'll get an update. It really doesn't behoove Brett Bielma to update us today to be honest with you trending um, in the right direction do you expect that phrase again today uh probably probably he's been a little like thursdays once i think he knows teams have got full weeks of practices in he's been a little more forthcoming uh, a little more i, I don't want to go all out on the forthcoming brett bielma injury report uh side of things here but we'll see it probably trending in the right direction I, it just doesn't make sense for him to tell us so if, if he plays that's you know that's obviously the biggest storyline can Josh McCray come back? What are you counting on from Josh McCray in week 11 of the season? Uh, that's the other part of it is, and I, he was asked on Monday about redshirting. Basically, to me, it read like yeah, he's going to play if he's healthy because Brett Bielman, I think he's a four-year player anyway, uh, meaning he'll be gone after that third season. But if those two are out, the, the tall order just got a lot taller, didn't it? Because, yeah. I mean, that's that's a big, big miss there. Well, let me ask you, Joey. Gut feel, does Chase Brown go? Watching him walk off the field on Saturday, he was limping. I mean, but it wasn't – he wasn't on crutches. He didn't get a boot. He wasn't on a cart. He wasn't, you know, being – Sidney Brown wasn't on the other side of him, holding him up. He he walked gingerly with a limp, but it wasn't a limp that you're like, oh, boy, that's not – that's not ideal. So I – but that's a Saturday, right? Like, you don't know what the next day looks like. I think you could I, – I could see it happening. I don't know that I'd be floored. Yeah. If he did, and I think this is a big game for Chase Brown too, and I think he he relishes these opportunities. So I don't. I, I hate to say yes. I don't want to set the expectation that he will, but it's certainly watching. I guess I'll say watching him leave the field Saturday probably felt a lot better for people than watching him get help to the injury tent on Saturday. Yeah, I would think he travels right. Like, cause yeah, he, even if it ends up being like an ankle sprain or, or something. Uh, the, the hit that scared me more was the one he took to his knee when he looked like he hyperextended it a little bit. I mean, he's banged up, obviously, at, at this point. But if he's 90% of Chase Brown and, and he's not going to put himself at risk, I, I think he'll go. I would imagine he travels um, just, just to see if he can go on Saturday. But yeah, if he can't go and Josh McCray can't go, I mean, are you putting Jordan Anderson uh, first game into Michigan? They've wanted to play him. It's hard to get a guy in. Uh, th- this late in a season in such high pressure environments, so Reggie Love, Chase Hayden would have to be really good, but obviously that would be a huge blow uh, to Illinois. And Tommy DeVito would have to play the game of his life uh, if, if Chase Brown can't go, and Barry Lunny would have to call the game of his life uh, against the number one uh, team with Michigan. So, but either way, Joey, the offensive line has to play better. Uh, they, they got nominated for the Joe Moore Award, and it just felt like ill-timed because it just doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like you know the first eight weeks of the season. Sure, they looked like. One of the best units, Matt Millen told me before the Michigan State game, third best offensive line in the Big Ten. They haven't played like it the last couple weeks. And some of that might be teams scheming up against Chase Brown. We've seen teams really blitz off the edge to kind of stop DeVito from keeping or to get uh, Chase Brown on those stretch runs. But also you just haven't seen a lot of movement right up front. Like the, the line of scrimmage is not moving 
like it was uh, against some of these other Big Ten West opponents during that six-game win streak. They got to play better. They do. I asked Bart Miller about that yesterday, and he said the Michigan State game, there was like 14 mental errors by his offensive line. That's a lot. I mean, that's far, 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 far too many. He said the Purdue game, you had to go back and look a little bit because it wasn't just like in the moment clear, and it was just a collection of Alex Palczewski didn't play a very good game. He had four penalties, yeah. uh, some of which were costly. They, they, I think Brett Bielema mentioned the left side, Julian Pearl, Isaiah Adams. He likes what he's seeing out of those two on the left side, but it was just kind of ill-timed mistakes. Bart Miller said he didn't question the want to or the desire or the physicality. It just was kind of a bubbling of things there where Michigan State, it was clear, like, okay, that was just mental errors. It, it's, it's weird because that's just not what we've seen out of this right. group. Uh, not even just a six-game winning streak. Basically, all season, save for that, goal line stand in Bloomington, Indiana, we've seen this group be an imposing, dominating at times group. And that's what's made these last two games a little surprising. And look, they're not getting much help with the boxes totally loaded, waiting for Chase Brown to run the ball. But when Brett Bielema talks about success on first down, getting those four yards to play ahead of the chains, that comes back a lot to the line because Chase Brown can get four yards with, with some help in front of him. So that's, that's something that it's not an easier task going to Michigan either, by the way. That is a that's a tough group for them to go against. So I'm really interested to see how or if they respond. Yeah, I'm glad you talked with Bart because some of this stuff is, you know, harder for us to, to kind of break down, not being as, as football IQ as those guys, but they just simply have struggled to get a push. They've struggled to get to the second level, and defenses have changed things against them, right? Like they are gearing up for it. They don't respect Illinois uh stretching the field. But I thought Beal, or I thought Barry Loney took some shots. You know, the 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 trick play to tip Ryman was a fantastic one. Um, they got Casey Washington deep once, got Brian Howard Hightower deep a couple times. Uh, Tommy DeVito is going to have to be really good, right? And, and I didn't think he played great against Purdue. I thought he played good, good enough to compete. Uh, but there were some decisions, whether it was in the zone reads, uh, the RPO game. They really got to get that RPO game going and, and get the ball a little vertically with with those guys on slants and, and just getting the ball downfield because uh, they got they got to get people off of Chase Brown and give him a couple opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And we saw – I don't think it's quite as loaded as it was last year, yeah. uh, but it's starting to get pretty full down in that area. And you do have guys – I will see Pat Bryant. We don't know his status. I'll ask Brett Bielema here in about an hour what his status is. It's another guy you need who can – who at times this season – uh, especially in the that early stretch, those first four games really did give you that vertical threat. I think the you got to I think you got to ride the connection of Brian Hightower and Tommy DeVito right now because that is working. There's a trust there. Brian Hightower is going up and getting it. He's moving chains. He, he's stretching the field, and you need that against a team that's they're cool if you throw it down the field because they don't know that you can get the separation to make it happen. And you need to show them you can, and that'll open up, and not just for Chase Brown, for Josh McCray, for I think Reggie Love has shown some burst, uh, so you got to put him in that conversation. But it, it comes back to to being able to move it downfield a little bit. I like the trick play. I don't know that I love the recipient <laughs> at the end of the pass, and that's not. I'm not trying to be rude to Tim Fryman, but he's not 
shown the most consistent hands this season. Downfield, right? Uh, I, I do right, like right, getting, right. I do like getting tip open on some of these crosser routes. These they had a really good play call, Joey, where where tip was in the backfield blocking, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. he sneaks out. Like those are the quick hitters, uh, the kind of counters that Illinois needs uh, to its run game that they can get you in good situations in second and third down, right? They they've really struggled with that, and you know, Lunny brought it brought it up like. They ran 15 times on first down. They they threw it 12. Uh, it you felt, think that was intentional to bring that up? Yes, because yeah. he does feel a little predictable at times, um, and and that's something they work on. I know he's working on, so I, I think it's important for them to to kind of keep mixing it up. But they got to be successful on those throws too, because they weren't very successful on those throws on first down uh, as well. Um, the defense has a huge task as well, and it's a defense joy that hasn't been as dominant, hasn't been as good. It's kind of been kind of average uh, the last two weeks. Um, and, and for me, it, it starts up front. Uh, I think they've really missed Seth Coleman, so getting him back, you know, Brett Buma said he was cleared, I think is going to be massive. Uh, not that Alec Bryant's been terrible or anything. We know he's got talent, he's made some plays, but Seth is sneakily really good against the run, and, and then we know he makes game-changing plays. They're going to have to make game-changing plays, and Seth Coleman's been the, the starter of several interceptions this year, right, with his hits on quarterbacks and his pass rush. So I think getting him back is only going to help Johnny Newton, only going to help Keith Randolph. But, man, this offensive line is the best you probably played all season. You know, Michigan State's actually was pretty good. Um, but this is one of the best offensive lines you'll play all year, and you need that front to be as good as they have been all year. You do, and when Ryan Walters talks about complimentary football, it's like 60% complimentary football on the defensive side, right? That's what he's talking about. And that means getting the pressure up front that helps lead, to your point, to some of those interceptions we've seen Illinois come up with. Uh, yeah, I think Seth Coleman back is. I mean, that's a big deal. He, it's kind of a slow start to the year for him. But, man, he came on, and he came on really, really strong. Uh, the, the Nebraska game, he changed the entire game. And Lincoln, I mean, with his hit on Casey Thompson, that one knocked him out and two led to an interception. Uh, so, yeah, I, I agree up there. I think you need, you know, the nose guard position, we haven't been talking as much about that spot uh, than we were early in the season. I think that's something else to watch. Jeremy, it all comes back to the back end to me. Like, and not to get too far ahead of our conversation, but with Terrell Jennings out, with Taz Nicholson out, we don't know the status to this point of Tyler Strain. You're down to some combination of Xavier Scott, who has been, for the better part of the season, Quan Martin's back up at nickel. Quan Martin, who who is a really, really good nickel with corner background, or do you go to a Tyson Rooks? Do you go to an Elijah McCantos at the big house? Like that's that to me is the the microscope position of this defense this week. Uh, you could probably get by with it against Northwestern, right? I don't yeah, know yeah. that really. But it's a microscope this week and and there's no reason for a team to to throw to Devin Witherspoon again. There's no reason to throw to his side of the field again. I'm not trying to be dramatic or over the top about it. Why would you do that when you can attack a redshirt freshman at best or true freshman at worst, unless Quan Martin plays out there? Like that is, that's a critical spot in injuries. Illinois has been fortunate to avoid most of them throughout the year. Uh, but as Red Bielema has mentioned, and you and I obviously, and everyone has noticed, they're piling up at certain positions. Yeah. It's not, you lose a back here, you lose what you have with Josh McRae, I suppose. But the last few weeks, it's been you're losing their number two corners at a pretty high rate here. And, you know, I thought Tyler Strain had a nice bounce back game before he left the Purdue game, obviously with the interception. 
Uh, Xavier Scott was a true freshman thrown mm-hmm. into that role. That's a tough, tall order against Purdue. So that's what's that looks like. Can you get strained back? If you get strained back, you, I don't want to say you breathe easier. You're still a redshirt freshman who was your fourth cornerback, but it's a sure as a heck a lot better just to have another person there who's played a football game. Yeah, and I, I do think it's helpful to get that experience for those guys, right? Like Tyler Strain had a rough performance against Michigan State. Now he had a bounce back, made a good play after giving up a touchdown. Xavier Scott got taken advantage of. I thought he competed. Uh, I thought that was good to see. Didn't seem like it was too much for him, but he got beat a couple times. Like Payne Durham is really good. He mossed him. Um, but those guys getting that experience, I think, can really help. Uh, and getting Strain back, who had a nice interception last week, could be nice. Xavier Scott's got some of that experience now. But the key to the game, Joey, is to just contain Corum and Edwards. I mean, Donovan Edwards is really good. Uh, he, he, you know, Blake Corum basically looks like Chase Brown. Um, he, he's that kind of runner, Heisman candidate, right behind Brown in yards, number four, I think, in the country, leads the country along with Mo Ibrahim in, in rushing touchdowns. Like, they're both really, really, really good. Um, so if you can contain them, like Iowa held them to 172 yards and two rushing touchdowns on 42 carries, that's a win. If you can if you can keep them to around four yards per carry and contain them, which we've seen Illinois do that to good rushing attacks like Wisconsin, if you can hold them around 150 on the ground, you got a chance. If, if they're getting 200 plus, I don't think you got much of a chance because that means Michigan's controlling the clock. It means you have to load the box, and then JJ McCarthy can get out and runs, and he can make good throws. You got to make JJ McCarthy beat you because I think he can. <laughs> he's he's talented enough to do it. Um, but he just hasn't been put in that situation where in a third and fourth quarter, the game is on the line and in J.J. McCarthy's hands. Illinois has to find a way to do that. That's a lot easier said than done, though. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough rushing attack. to Like, we're, we're literally talking contain at 172 yards. That's the, that's the it's, worst performance on the ground this year. Yeah, that's... last Last four games, Joey. 264 against Nebraska, 282 against Rutgers, 276 against Michigan State, 418 against Penn State. 418 <laughs> rushing yards. That's absurd. Yeah. That's absurd. And you're right. I mean, for all the talk I just had about the corner, it's not a if, if you got to make them throw to get to that point. And that means slowing down that running game. It's it's tough, dude, because Edwards would start on how many Big Ten teams? He's really good. Yeah, so all of them, but Minnesota, Illinois, and Michigan, probably, and maybe Ohio State. Like, good. That's tough, dude. That's and to your point, yeah, that's for the defensive front. You, you know, these are big opportunities for your Keith Randolphs, your Johnny Newtons, your Calvin Averys of the world to go in there and and kind of bounce back against this rushing attack and try to put out some good, more good film. Right, I mean, but but you also need your linebackers to fill, and and the inside linebackers have been okay. Okay, yeah. I don't I don't want to say up and down because I don't know there's been any big ups, and there's not been that many you know far downs. They've just been okay, and I guess some points probably on us to. Is that just what this defense is built around, or is that just because of the linebackers? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think your linebackers. Is there a great talent there? I don't know. I, can't, I mean, I don't think we're talking about any of those guys as NFL players, right? Like, I don't know if there's a 
next level playmaker. And that was the, that was the discussion coming into the season: is can CJ Hart be that guy? He has not been that guy this year. Like Dark Angelo feels like more than any is making some of these flash plays, but also if you get a if you get a body on him, he can get blocked, right? Um, so, yeah, I think Tariq Barnes is the most consistent. I think Dark Angelo has shown the most flash plays, and I, I just don't think CJ Hart. Whether it's injury, whether it's that one game we overrated him a little bit, I'm not sure. Um, but he just hasn't been the guy you hoped he would be this year. Not that he's been terrible. Um, it's just, yeah, I think they're they're an okay group. I, I think they're uh, now they're probably not a top half group in the Big Ten at linebacker at inside linebacker. Right. I guess I just don't know. Like we know, free safety is a position that they are safeties in general in this defense that thrive. Right. Like that's the defense is kind of built around that uh, our linebacker is the defense built around linebackers needing to be anything more I guess the answer would be probably not because we saw during that six game stretch that they were just okay and that was still a really really good defense I, 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 I still defense think defense is still ranked in the top right. five in the country okay yeah, I, I I know what you're saying Joey I think if you have a great linebacker he's making a lot of plays in, sure. this, in this defense. Like, sure. I, I still think like if Jake Hansen was healthy last year, he's probably making a lot of plays uh, in this fair. defense. So, yes, things are funneled towards the safety, right? Um, I don't know, like outside linebackers, yeah, you're going to make plays because you're getting one-on-one battles, but you still got to be good to do that. Uh, you still got to be really good to be able to do that. So I, I don't think outside of free safety, if there's one position that's like a huge advantage playing in this sure. defense, I still think you have to be really talented. Um yeah, any other thoughts um, on, on this matchup going into this game? I mean, it's as simple as they got to play their best game uh, and play much better than they played, much cleaner than they have the last couple games. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, cleaner. That's the best way to put it. That was that was not – that Purdue game was not like anything that we had seen from Illinois Since this Indiana. year. And it was, in Indiana, I don't even recall it to be that egregious in, in terms of some of the – flags that were thrown yeah. maybe i'm misremembering it uh but that was like you could kind of feel the like you felt the tensions in that game like for the first time we saw illinois kind of show the moment uh with be it the the late hits the unsportsmanlike the whatever the case may be you can take out the pass interference calls we we yeah. i think we've you covered those to the ends of the earth and they weren't good calls by and large somewhere but man, just the we just don't see a lot of those unsportsmanlike penalties from Illinois. I saw a taunting type deal here and there. Yeah. yeah, you've seen that. But just the flat out Sydney Brown throwing his helmet down yeah. hockey style, ready to, Some to go. Like or, <laughs> look, I, I I don't I mean it was that I think if both guys take their helmet off, let it happen, right? But yeah. But like the the Johnny Newton push out of bounds, you you just don't see those things or or some of those other penalties that just have been uncharacteristic. Yeah, I'm looking at their penalties. They haven't been good there this year. Um, 25 penalties in the first three games. Uh, Chattanooga, they cleaned it up. Wisconsin, they had eight for 75. I think they had some of those taunting penalties. In that sure, game. yeah. No. Um, Nebraska, eight for 72. But yeah, nothing like twelve for one twenty-one. Their their previous high before that was ten for seventy-one against Virginia. They did a seven for eighty against Wyoming and, and eight for eighty-one against Indiana. Um, so they they have done that at times. It just they didn't feel like they were in as critical critical times. Like giving that Johnny Newton penalty was awful. Just you can't 
you can't do it. Um, you know, some of the pass interference, I don't mind. It's competing. Like Brett Bielman and Ryan Walters have mentioned that. But the Alex Pelcheski penalties can't happen. And I know they were moving. They can do that as long as they're not barking signals, right? Like, that's what a defense is able to do. The defense can cross the line of scrimmage and get back as long as they don't uh, enter the, the neutral. I guess, I guess they can make a movement before the line. Like, they can do that. You can't have that from a 60 year senior. And you, you and I love Alex Pelcheski talking to him, watching his career. It's been cool to watch, but you just can't have those penalties. No, it's what they talk about. It's pre and post snap. I think they'll live with some of the during the, you know, between the whistle type penalties. You don't love them, but it's easier to stomach those because those are more teaching moments. Uh, the pass interferences, your holdings, whatever, the block in the backs, whatever the case may be. It's those post snap penalties or after the whistle penalties and those pre-snap penalties that are just they're just brutal. I mean, we talk about the one drive. You mentioned Johnny Newton. Before that was hands to the face by Calvin Avery. Then you had two pass interference penalties. It was 56 yards, if I'm not mistaken. Because one pass yeah. yeah, one pass interference was just a six-yard penalty. That's 51. You moved them half the field on penalties. Can't do that. And that, <laughs> when that you're took trying the to win the West. You can't do that. If they don't do that, if those penalties don't happen, it was third. It would have been third and ten after that Newton. And Aiden O'Connell could have completed it. I would have liked to have forced him to complete it. <laughs> I would have rather forced him to like can't have those. Those are absolute killers. Purdue takes the lead, never give it up. And if you get the ball back for your offense, who knows what happens uh, during that game. So it was a game changer. We can talk about the pass interferences, and we have. Those are game changers. I thought the Brown one was bad, and I thought the Devin Witherspoon was bad. But you can't have the Johnny Newton penalty, too. You can't have the Alex Pelcheski penalty on fourth and four. Get a chance to convert. Instead, you got a punt. And you give them the ball back, they take the lead. Those things those things absolutely kill you. Uh, all right, Joey. Let's do pick to click. Offense. Who you got? Ooh. Ooh. Oh, man. Against the number one defense in almost every statistical category now. Well, we, to recap last week, my tight end room pick did, in fact, not. It's close. Play. You were close. I was close. <laughs> Who was yours? It was Isaiah. That didn't work out either. Get him the ball. Get him the ball. I Can I take Isaiah? Because, like, we, we, I don't want to take Chase Brown. We don't know if he's going to play. And I think if he does, Michigan's going to do everything in its power to not let him beat them. It feels like Isaiah, a, a get him the ball game, doesn't it? Get this guy the ball and, and see what he can do. I think it was three touches last week, four touches. Yeah, five targets overall. Yeah, five, yeah that, that's not enough for Isaiah Williams. Uh, so I'll take Isaiah Williams, Jeremy. All right. Uh, it's got to be the Tommy DeVito game. It has to be. Yeah. yeah. Like, I chase Brown, I think, like, my – if I were betting, I'd say he'd play, but um, you don't know. Uh, so regardless, Tommy DeVito has to have his best game. You know, Sean Clifford had a really long run. I feel like Tommy DeVito's legs are going to be really important. He's got to make really good decisions, and he can't be afraid to run the ball. Like He's got to run the ball in this game and make them respect it because I feel like that's one of the best counters to chase. Um, and then he's got to make great decisions. He's got to make downfield throws that are accurate. Clifford was awful against Michigan, 7 of 19. Most quarterbacks have not been good against Michigan, so Tommy DeVito's got to buck that trend uh, if Illinois has any chance to win. Defense, pick to click. Who you got, Joey? And recap, I took Spoon. I'm taking that as a win. Last week, Devin Witherspoon. Sure. Yeah. Who'd you take? 
Um, who did I take? I got to start remembering these. Yeah, I don't remember any of them. <laughs> Usually, I hope you do. Uh, who did I take last week? Did I take Akis? I think I took Akis because Coleman was out. That would add up. Yeah. Yeah. I, part of me wants to like take one of the safeties, but I don't know that they're going to have to throw it enough. They got a good tight end. Tight ends have been hurting Illinois. The guy they haven't yeah. been hurting Illinois mostly against Sidney Brown though. Like Sidney Brown's actually defended them really well. I think I'm going to step on your feet here and take the Seth Coleman show us why they missed you game. Go for it, Seth Coleman. I'm going to go with the Johnny Newton needs to play like the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year game. All right, because he. I mean, that was probably his worst performance of the year, and that's all relative because he was still. He still made a couple big plays, um, but there were a couple plays. It just didn't play up to to the Johnny Newton we've seen earlier. Uh, against Michigan's offensive line, their center is great. The Virginia transfer, Ryan Hayes, their offensive tackle, is going to be drafted pretty high. Um, but Johnny Newton against some of those guards needs to take advantage because if there's, I guess, a weak point of their offensive line, it's it's their guards are solid. Um, so I would, I, I'm going to go with Johnny Newton. We're, we're going with some stars here, but the stars need to shine uh, against – Michigan. Uh, what's your prediction, Joe? I mean, Michigan's going to win, I think. Yeah. So I'll, I'll take 31 13. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen mine in the system because <laughs> we all I answer, haven't. We all inserted predictions. I had 30 to 13. <laughs> oh, man. Look at that. I, I think Illinois will compete. I, I think they'll compete for the first half. Maybe into the Feels third like quarter. like a couple fourth quarter scores, which is something Michigan has shown its ability to do. They wear on you. They wear on that offensive line, that running attack. They wear on you. And as long as J.J. McCarthy doesn't make mistakes, I think Michigan's a better team. I mean, they're one of the four undefeated teams in the country. They haven't played many people, though. So that's what gives you pause. But Penn State, who I do think is a better team than Illinois at this point. Uh, but I think it'd be a great matchup, Penn State and Illinois. Um, I, I think... They, they got crushed, right, by, by Michigan because they had turnovers. Uh, they had a couple big plays, but they just couldn't stop Michigan's rushing attack. So I think Illinois is one of Michigan's better tests, but they're just getting Illinois at a good time. Like, Illinois is banged up. Chase Brown, how, how good will he be if he does play? If he does play, they've had other injuries. Corner, you've mentioned. like, And I just wonder about their confidence. But it does feel like Illinois – they play better when they are the hunter. Like they, they did not play well when they had the target on their backs. And that's a, that's a team, that's a program that just hasn't dealt with that. We saw that with Illinois basketball uh, a couple years ago. But when Illinois would lose early in the season, the basketball team, they seemed to play better when they were the hunter again. And, and I feel like this team's going to be the same. So I think you'll get a better effort. Uh, I don't think this will be, maybe I'll say this and jinx them. I don't know if they're going to get embarrassed on Saturday. I just think Michigan's sure. a better team and will wear on them in the second half. One to ten, what kind of Penn State vibes from last year are you getting? I well, I had none of that vibe going into that game. I did not think it was going to be pretty. Well, looking back, like in retrospect. I I think Michigan's a better team than Penn State. I do too. I, I would say like two and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Because to answer your question, I think it could happen. I, I, I still think there's a chance it could happen. Um, I just think Michigan's a better team than that Penn State team was. Um, you know, Sean Clifford is – J.J. McCarthy is a more talented guy. I think their rushing attack is better. I think their offensive line is better. 
Michigan's defense, I still think, has to prove it against a team like Ohio State, but they're just so solid all around. I think they're better coached. I think Michigan's got a better coaching staff than Penn State did last year. So, yeah, I'd say like three. Three. I think like Brett Bielema, the way he has these guys, I think you give him that two to three out of ten range because you think they're going to come in, fight you and shit, and and maybe (laughs) he – Maybe try to ruin the college football playoff for Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you still got a lot to play infinite. for. I mean, you, you yeah. still got potential nine-win season. There's If Purdue slips up, right, do you have a chance Like if you go and win this game? And let's be honest, this would be one of the most memorable games in Illinois history. If Illinois goes and wins at Michigan, spoils their college football playoff, and for Michigan, their college kids, this game doesn't matter to them. Like, the, the, like, yeah, to be undefeated, it does. But Michigan can still win the Big Ten East. They can still go to the college football playoff if they don't win this game. Like, so th- this game is kind of like Illinois-Michigan State from Illinois' perspective because, yes, it matters. Like, you can guarantee a spot. Like, you can go lose to Ohio State and still get into the college football playoff potentially for Michigan. But Ohio State matters. Like, that, that's the game that matters the most, and this is the week before against a wounded team. <laughs> So those are have all your we come, Have we come full circle on Illinois with suddenly being trapped by Michigan State and now Illinois is now trapping Michigan? Has the trap game made its way all the way around the circle and back to the, the standard as we've known it for the last 20 years? You know, I, I, I always poo-poo these things. I can't poo-poo these things when they're college athletes. Like, you're just human, right? Like, Illinois knew that Michigan State um, was was weaker. They weren't a great team. They were, had all these guys that were out suspended. And Michigan State came in, rallied around the troops, right? Like, they kind of circled the wagons, do all these cliches, and they played good. Like, on the road. They kind of got away from everything, played well on the road. I think that can help Illinois. But at the end of the day, you still got to play good football, right? So, like, you can have all these mental distractions. You still have to play good football. Uh, and that's most important for Illinois. So, yeah, I, I think these things do have an impact. Like, I do, these mental things have an impact. Like, they wouldn't have sports psychologists if it didn't, right? And coaches wouldn't have to address these things if it didn't. But at the end of the day, Michigan's a more talented, more just better team right now. So, Illinois really has to tap into those things and then play well on top of it. Yeah, I think the talent and I think the, the banged up, nature of Illinois kind of negates in part some of that um, the, the impact of storylines. Yeah, two and a half. Two and a half or three. Feels right. Like, Brett Bielema is going to have these dudes ready to rock at Michigan. Is it going to matter? I don't know. Michigan's really freaking good. Probably not. Yeah. Probably not, right? It might be one of those, and I've said this before a lot, it might be one of those hey, get to ABC now type games in the middle of the third quarter. This feisty bunch of Illinois people, you know, football team is is fighting with Michigan. It might be fun for, for a while, but Michigan's Michigan. And, yeah. and if Illinois can do it, you're right. That'd be a massive, massive, massive win for yeah. them and, and salvage a lot. Because yeah, it's funny, real quick, all these, how, what can the Big Ten West look like? Every one of them, for the most part, comes with okay, so let's assume Illinois loses to Michigan and then what? Yeah. Like that has so much make Brett Bielma on his team. Like that is exactly what he's talked about all year, isn't it? Like no one believes in us, us against everybody, rah rah, all that. All of these predictions, that's not a knock because it's the most reasonable prediction 
and the most reasonable caveat to put out there, like, okay, assume Illinois loses to the number three team in the country that's undefeated <laughs> and mega talented. Correct. That's super reasonable. But, like, that feels like the calling card that Brett Bielema is going to try to use. Not specifically that, but just kind of the whole picture. Uh, I don't know if it's going to matter. I don't think it will. But I think that's all going to be part of it. And they're, they're going to – maybe they come out fast. They started fast. Maybe they do it again. Uh, but Michigan's just a ton. Uh, by the way, not sure we'll do a live post game um, after this. If they win, they we I certainly will find a way. As I am in Vegas, um, Joey, we will find a way to do that, even if I have a drink or two in my system at that time. Look, I don't. I hope you're hammered uh, for the live post game. Let's let's really turn this thing up. But if you are, there are no no coward outs here. Camera on. I want to see stadium swim. At the I want to yeah. see the party here. Yeah, we, we got to bring Brett Barron's in on this. Messed up uh, hair, yeah, all of it. Oh, it, it, Brett Barron's hair is going to be messed up. This poor guy. I hope he doesn't listen to this. It's going to be messed up from the second he's wheels down in Vegas. Yeah. The second. He's going to do it on purpose, probably. <laughs> all right, Joey, before we uh, let you go and wrap up this pot, let's talk a little recruiting, right? Because two back-to-back losses hasn't really seemed to impact recruiting. Malik Elzey was on campus last week. Jair Hill still very interested in Illinois. Uh, maybe this is the Jair Hill Bowl uh, this entire game. But Illinois, big flip. Uh, we knew Illinois was still interested in the East St. Louis offensive lineman. Bart Miller and Corey Patterson went down there during one of the off weeks. And Brandon Henderson has really been the target there. Uh, Miles McVay is a ridiculous talent ridiculous um you know athleticism foot speed for a guy who's so dang big uh paris patterson's committed to arkansas as well but they liked brandon henderson the way that recruitment went down it felt like illinois was in a real position to close during his official visit but rico jackson uh, an offensive lineman from florida was also on the visit and he committed the first day from what i understand that kind of made it awkward for Brandon Henderson and Illinois kind of filled that spot of a guy who could play guard slash tackle kind of be like Zy Chrysler right um so he goes to Iowa State and decides to commit there um and then Rico Jackson decommits you're like man did, did Illinois not play that right but they get their second chance and they executed here get a good flip I am really high on his ceiling I think he's going to take time to develop this is a nice win at East St. Louis, and we know how important that school is because of how talented Darren Sunkett's program is. Yeah, Brandon Henderson, he still is like this. There's some Keith Randolph new to football vibes type deal with him. I uh, remember Keith Randolph was raw when when he yep. got. I mean, I remember his coach told me it was just, "Hey, go get the ball." There, there wasn't a lot of nuance to to Keith Randolph's game. Uh, probably some more with Brandon Henderson, but he's still new to football. I think 2020, Jeremy, is that right? The COVID year was his first real uh, yep. go at it. I saw East St. Louis earlier this season. He's physical. I mean, for a guy who's still new to football, he was physical. He, he was pancaking and, and really just playing his butt off out there. And, and I think the ceiling for him, I'm with you, is high. And I, I, I think that it's probably shared. That thought is probably shared within the Smith Center because of his physical gifts his athleticism the the newness to the game it, it was a really interesting recruitment dude it was because i think like if you would have had to put a crystal ball in before that weekend like it seemed like things were going yep. in a really really positive direction with brandon henderson but they didn't let up and they didn't rush it either i, I think that's important uh they, that first bye week they didn't rush down to east st louis to try to 
to try to go to, it's kind of made sure everything was right. All the fits were right. They did see East St. Louis in the second bye week. Bart Miller was down there. Uh, and, and you saw that continue to start to blossom. But that's a big flip. Uh, for Illinois to flip Power 5 kids, I know you wrote it. Uh, the, the last one before this class, there's two in this class, Zachary Toby from North Carolina being the other one, was Johnny Newton from Maryland. Like, you you want Power 5 flips. It's fine to, to kind of help somebody step up in your gay backuses of the world. But, man, if you can go get guys that are sought after by other Power 5 programs, that's what you want. And, and obviously, that was a committed offer. He was committed. Yeah. That's a big one. And, and to your point, any St. Louis, right? And you, Him and Antoine Hayden, that's a good – a good foundation to get back into that program in this class. I think you and I liked uh, the offensive line class last year. Really solid. I think Hunter, Hunter Whitenack can compete for a starting job next year. Whether he wins it, we'll see. Joey Oakle, I think, has a good future. Uh, Mountis Moeller, man, the upside is high. We'll see how where that goes, how he develops. But, like, Matt Fries, uh, who, who got here late in this class, like, he had the most Power 5 offers at six. Mountis Moeller was the only other guy with a, with a Power 5 offer. Now, that was a weird class with the COVID and all that. But this year, I, I mean, T.J. McMillan had 13 other Power 5 offers. Zachary Amlin had 10 others. Desmond Schuster, Juco, got a Nebraska offer the day after Illinois got him. Uh, and, and then you get Henderson, who had offers from Iowa State and Nebraska. And to flip somebody that was committed to, to Matt Campbell and Tom Manning, like two of the most respected O-line guys in the country when it comes to developing – I think it says a lot about what people think about Brett Miller, uh, Brett Bielema and, and Bart Miller. And obviously Bielema's long history and, and Miller, what he's done here so far at Illinois. Uh, obviously their O-line, stock, uh, O-line cell is great right now. Running back cell, great. Outside linebacker, DB, uh, with these guys going to the, the senior bowl. But clearly getting into East St. Louis and, and having a positive relationship there. Uh, what Andy Boone, Corey Patterson, of course Corey knows sunk it really well. It's a good relationship. Uh, to, to have those guys get Antoine Hayden early, I think, is paying dividends because Antoine was working Brandon a lot here. And then we know East St. Louis has a lot of good talent in the upcoming classes. Leontre Bradford, a 24 DB. Uh, they love Sale Reyes, um, the 2025 DB. Uh, so to get into that school and have a positive relationship now, Joey, uh, hopefully pays dividends because they're going to continue to produce Power 5 talent year after year. Yeah, you, you want to have those relationships and have it not be a strained one. And, and frankly, it had been strained, right? I, I don't know that we need direct quotes to watch how those recruitments have played out to know that that's been a strained relationship. Uh, Reyes, man, I, I wanted to bring this up because he is the brother of your guy, Jeremy. His, his older brother is Antonio Johnson. Uh, it's been very clear to everybody how much you – like Antonio oh, Johnson dude. as a prospect. Uh, and and, and Jire Hill gives me those vibes, but man, Antonio Johnson, I watched him as a sophomore at a Under Armour camp, and he was dominating guys two years older than him. Just long, athletic. So yes, I, I liked him. I did not know he'd be an All-American first-round draft pick, but Jire Hill gives me some of those vibes. But I digress. Go back to salaries. But yes, you, you want to be in those conversations. You want to have your presence felt and you want to have your presence felt for a team that it's a power. Like it is a powerhouse. It plays a national schedule. It is in the state semifinals right now. I think it's hard pressed for you and I to think they're not going to be playing at Champaign in a week uh, in the state championship game in class six. A Clement is good. Well, that'd be, that'd be a heck of a game this weekend, but yes, I would imagine East St. Louis would be there talent wise. Right. 
And by the way, that's not new, right? East St. Louis plays in a lot of those games. You want to have that presence. You want to have your presence there and maybe to a degree in the Metro East. But look, we also have to acknowledge East St. Louis is frequented by every college known to man. I mean, they get in there and that's a very busy school in terms of recruitments and Missouri is is competition there. But you want to have your hat in the ring. Like you, you've got to have your. There's, there's no way you can like you. You've got to have it. You've got to be a player in some degree at East St. Louis. I want to bring this up because like East St. Louis is key, but like some of these other schools they've gotten in on, right? They got James Kurtz from Loyola Academy. Mm-hmm. They'd struggled at Loyola Academy, and they took a chance on him when no other Power Five schools would. Um, JCA. You get Malachi Hood and Jordan Anderson. That's a back to being a powerhouse. Like, I grew up in that area. Uh, JCA is an absolute powerhouse. Chicago Catholic League, Brother Rice, they get Henry Boyer. St. Rita, they get Pat Farrell, right? Like, they, they are getting into some of these schools. Mount Carmel with Kanena Otaluga. I talked to Jordan Lynch, who I covered at NIU, former Heisman finalist. Loves what Illinois is doing. Has a good relationship with Kevin Kane from their NIU days uh, and thinks they're doing a really good job. Um that, that that's permeated throughout the last two years. So seven in-state guys in this class. They're hoping to get Malik Elzey and Jire Hill to make it nine. By the way, Malik Elzey at Simeon. Yeah, Simeon, right? Like, <laughs> that's the school you've got to be involved with. Yeah, so like all this effort is paying off. Now you want to see it pay off for more of the top ten prospects? We'll find out in the next two months, right? Because Malik Elzey going to announce uh, in January, going to sign with somebody in December, just visited Illinois, Illinois has got the best relationship. Some Tennessee, Oregon, some others are involved there. I like where Illinois sits there. And, and Jair Hill, I, I can't read him. He does a great job of that. But the fact that Illinois and Michigan are in a battle down to the wire and that he hasn't committed to Michigan despite everything Michigan's got going for it, I think that's a great sign for Illinois football moving forward is, is what they're doing in-state. It matters, and it's paying off. Yeah, that's exactly right, Jeremy. And we knew. We knew Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema did not hide the fact that this was going to be a priority for him. But I think it's kind of been like a layered development, right? Like that first one, they came in like crazy, and it was call everybody, let them know who you are, to to establish some sort of one-to-one connection. And then it was, you you, you got to slowly work your way up the ladder. Winning on the field helps you climb that ladder in some capacity, maybe faster than you would if you were – four and seven right now going into Michigan. Uh, so it's, it's all part of like a layered thing. Some of it takes patience. Some of it won't, right? Like some, it, it not a, there's not a cookie cutter way to approach every prospect and not everyone operates on the same timeline. I did want to bring up, we listened to Brett Bielman's radio show last night, Jeremy. Pat Ryan needs to get a lot of credit for what he the, the relationships he either helps maintain or helps cultivate, however you want to look at it. Brett Bielma said Pat Ryan, the director of Illinois High School personnel, former Metamore coach, very, very highly thought of in the state of Illinois, called every playoff eligible team last, you know, when the playoffs started. That is outreach, right? Like, even though you feel like you're still continuing to further some of those relationships, you've got to be consistent in the outreach. And I think that's what you're seeing is Brett Bielema now nears his two-year anniversary at Illinois. Yeah, we just got uh, an email. I believe I can share this. If not, I'll edit it out. Um, but today's media availability of Brett Bielema was canceled. Uh, Coach Bielema is going through a difficult personal matter. Early this morning, he received a call that his mother had passed. 
please be respectful of his family's privacy at this time. So I got a message earlier this morning that that had happened. So uh, condolences to to Brett Bielma and, and his family. I know, Joey, you caught up with his mother um, at some point. Just seemed like a, a really um, beautiful person. And uh, obviously, Brett, one of the reasons this job was so good is because he was so close to his parents. So uh, condolences to, to Brett Bielma and his family. It's got to be difficult. Yeah, it's really hard to hear. Uh, I did. I saw they came to see him when he did his tailgate thing in the Quad Cities just beamed with pride seeing Brett back at home and, and in that, in that setting, that's a tough one to hear. Our condolences are with Brett. That's, that's hard, man. That's really hard. He was, I know we had talked about making trips to, to Prophetstown and the farm to see the family just over the course of being hired here. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. All right. That'll do it for us. Uh, Joey Wagner. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, man. Yeah, tough news uh, for Illinois is Brett Bielma's mother, Maryland, uh, passed away. Uh, Brett Bielma got the news on Monday morning. So condolences to their family. Uh, obviously a rough time, anybody who's gone through these things, and most of us have. So uh, condolences to Brett Bielma. We don't know, and uh, probably not time to ask yet, whether he will be on the sidelines. I would imagine he will be, but uh, we'll find all of that out later when Illinois wants to provide that. So thoughts and prayers with the Bioma family at this time. All right, thank you for listening to the Illini Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube as well, and check Illini Enquirer for the latest updates on everything Illinois. I will talk to you from Vegas as Derek Piper and I are boarding a flight very shortly. Enjoy your weekend. Uh, we will talk to you soon live from Vegas right here on the Illini Enquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. Normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil, has returned. We've already hunted werewolves, demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Okie dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil, the final season. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus.